Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Morning. Uh, I'm becoming more and more convinced of the season. It's really commonplace now. It's become before it was. The season is almost 22, 22 years old, almost. Previously, particularly about ten years ago, we seemed like we were few amongst the many others. Now things are turning. It's becoming commonplace. It's a thing that God is doing. We saw it earlier on and God began to use us as pioneers by in virtue of our connection with Pastor Thamo. But now it's wonderful to see how people all over the planet are entering this message. It's important for you to understand because sometimes you fail to see globally what we do in microcosm. What we do things on a small scale here, the thing is vastly gaining such momentum on a much broader scale. Amen. Uh, this house, you must understand the nature of our composition as a household of faith. We're not an ordinary church. This church is a teaching house. And um, we are teaching the nations of the earth. And I want to encourage us all. We have, I have no authority to teach any other nation unless the thing I proclaim to others can be built here locally first. So we never speak beyond not just what we know, we also must not speak beyond the things that we have built locally. Must be able, I've constantly said this, must be able to say to that entire school at Zambia, come and see, come to Durban when you're in town and come and see the model. Come and see a people who have become this word that we are proclaiming. Okay? And the imperative is for us to become the word proclaimed. So we must become the, 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 the word that we seek to teach to others. And um, the Bible says, there's a verse in the scriptures where David, says of David, and David, this is after Saul's death, and he went from Hebron to Zion. David had three anointings. This first anointing was in Jesse's house. Where? Among his brothers. What was the audience? Who was privy to that? Brothers. In his running away from Saul, he then went to Hebron, remember? And at Hebron, the Bible says, the men of Judah came to him and coronated him king. Right? That was a tribal coronation. The one was family, the one was brothers. When he went to Hebron, a tribe recognized who the man was. After living seven and a half years there, he went and he ruled from Zion, Jerusalem, as king for 33 years. And before those 33 years commenced, the Bible says, and then all Israel came to crown him as king. There were three distinct anointings of oil upon the man's head. First by the prophet Jesse amongst brothers, then by a recognition of his tribe, and then a recognition by the whole nation. And I want to encourage us, and then the scripture says at that third level, and David realized that God had set him up as king over the whole nation. 
Okay. Sometimes we don't realize the sphere of the anointing that God has given us. But in David's life, he grew from level to level as each person group within that time, each phase, came to a recognition of what grace attended him. And so as the family, the brothers were aware, so he grew. Right? And when he came to Hebron, the tribe came and they were aware of what he represents as king and they regarded that. You see, the nation won't recognize it unless the tribe recognizes it. The tribe won't recognize it unless the brothers of the house recognize it. And I really want you to open your eyes to see what God has given us. For upon greater recognition of it, the thing will grow to the next level. There's something burgeoning within my heart. But it has to grow to the next level. right? has to grow to the next level. And I want to encourage us. You see, David went to give his brothers cheese on the battlefield. Not so? When, when David, when Goliath was taunting Israel. Not so? So what was the move to kingship? What was the move to the next level? The disposition of serving brothers was the pathway that God would use in David's life to elevate him to kingship. The idea was, I will never kill a Goliath until I know how to administrate cheese to brothers. So un- until, listen carefully, come on, open, open your eyes. You see, I'm, I'm focused on this thing about brotherhood. Love each other. See what each other represents until you get a revelation of the body of Christ. That my brother is very important to me. That I will esteem him higher than myself. That I will position, I will use my resources, my time and my talents to ensure his welfare. If you don't get that right, then you will rule nothing. The pathway to David's ascension to kingship. And in fact, Goliath was a necessary thing he had to confront. For upon killing Goliath, he would be thrust into the royal courts of King Saul. And he had to get familiar with that environment because royalty was the realm that he had to be thoroughly familiar with. But if you track it, you see he had a father in Jesse. Jesse said to him, go see how goes it with your brothers on the battlefield. Take this cheese, some raisins and some bread and go minister to them. Okay? So tell him to minister to your brothers. The text that Renee read a few moments ago here in Exodus, right? Moses asked Jethro, again, it's a a picture of a father and a son. But what was the the passion of Moses? He did not say, please send me. I'm going to go and be this big man of God. I'm going to deal with pharaohic, demonic princes and deliver God's people. His simple request was, please, can I go to see how my brothers are doing? Read the text carefully. The heart of the man was brotherhood. Everyone say brotherhood. Now, this, this focus on grace and humility is key for all of these things, right? You've got to humble yourself in reference to each other. Some of us are still too high-minded, self-centered, totally focused on you, your own, and nobody else beyond you. You have to deliberately take it, your eyes off your own needs, your own concerns, your own welfare, and project that to how goes it with Indy. And Nisi. There's two people in the house. How goes it with Claire? 
right? Or am I only centered on a few here? And I never, let me, I'm giving you keys. Tell you, this is key. You want breakthrough every Sunday, I'm giving you keys. But some of you are not even trying the key. You're saying, I'll stay here, and next year I'll be in the same position. I've overextended myself to brothers in the city, Australia and Jules, for the past weeks at home, in, not, when I'm not traveling. There's appointments, there's, 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 uh, there's breakfasts, there's lunches, there's dinners. What am I doing? And most of it is I'm reaching out. It's, it's setting up the program to bless another. What am I doing? I'm demonstrating my concern for the welfare of the brothers. You never see your brother as your competition. You don't even view this church as their competition on the block. If that is your mindset, you don't know what the kingdom is about. So even when you go out here, you meet some of the other folk from next door. Greet. Engage. You see, don't be so parochial that you don't extend yourself beyond what you know of your own. Amen? So I want to encourage you. That for me, if you want to walk out, if anyone wants to leave now, please, you're welcome to. And say, I've got the one key I came for. Randolph said, it's focus on brothers. Yes, I'm going to try that for the next two months. I'm just going to do that. A long teaching here, but I've got one thing. I'm going to focus on, I'm going to drive that thing left, right, and center. I'm going to see what it does for me. Right? That's a key. That's a key. Amen? Brotherhood is a key. Amen? Much to say about that, but we'll, after the whole session on brotherhood, Peter says, love the brotherhood. Brotherhood is a concept in Scripture. Safest neighborhood to live in is the brotherhood. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's get back to where we should be. Amen. That was, I believe, this, an impression of the Holy Ghost. Um, we're dealing now with session nine. This is literally... Um, the second audio recording of session 9, which is Humility Accesses a Greater Grace. This is the first part of session 9, although it's a second audio recording of the session. It started this last week, remember? And our key text here, I've printed the notes because I want to go fairly fast um, today in our teaching. Fairly fast in our teaching, and we can be in about an hour, then we'll shut down. Amen. So, last week we dealt with two primary scriptures. The one is at the bottom of your page, 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I told you, those two texts were built up from an Old Testament reference in Proverbs 3, 34, which says, Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. There are two positions contrasted in all three texts. The one is humility and the other is pride. To proud, to the proud, God said, I will oppose you if you're proud. But to the humble man, God says, I will give not just grace, but I will give a greater grace to the one that is humble. It is advisable, therefore, to adopt a humble position and not to maintain pride. Because 
If you maintain pride, you recruit God's opposition. But if you master humility, humility is an activation for grace reception. So humility is a grace receiver, while pride is a grace repellent. Grace, humility attracts grace. Pride pushes grace away. Okay? Now, I'm sure we all want to be grace receivers. Not so? And then, uh, the, the first bullet point there, I, I taught that God's eyes scan the earth looking for humility in men. I'm not going to go through all the texts because we did that last week. Just the point that I want to make there is, the eye of the Lord runs to and fro over the face of the whole earth. Scripture says to show himself strong to those whose hearts are perfect towards him. The scriptures indicate the sheer impossibility of all the heavens being able to contain the fullness of all that God represents. Okay? Now, please watch. The, the, the heavens, the entirety of that created domain, the heavens, is impossible to contain the God that created it. So he says, heaven, even the highest heavens, Solomon said, cannot contain God. Okay? And so, he looks, everyone say he looks. This is Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2 at the bottom of the page there. It says that his, heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. So, where is the house that you can build me? But God says, I will look to, in other words, the word look, nabat. There's something on the earth that will recruit my eye and be, it will almost condition my gaze and lure it to me. It will attract my attention. In other words, God says, to this man will I look. He was of a humble heart and a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Everyone say, he trembles at my word. Okay, I'll talk more to that um, in a moment. So, God is looking for a heart of humility. And I said to you at the bottom of page 3, that humility must both be personal and corporate. Must both be private and must be corporate. Humility must attend a person, but humility must also be descriptive of a people. So we, we personally, individually must all master humility. But humility must also become a corporate expression of our coming together. We must be a people of lowliness. There must be no hoity-toity among us. Must be no haughtiness among us. Must be no pompous looks, arrogant looks. La di da. I'm better than you. Who are you? I'm even dressed better than you. Check my hairstyle and check yours. Look at my social standing. Look at my car that I'm driving. Look at yours. Check my quality of education that I've received. Check yours out. And what I'm going to do in two weeks' time, I'll give you all the expressions of pride. But you know, it is so subtle. There's an extremely thin line between humility and pride. Extremely thin. And it's so subtle to cross over. But the moment you cross over from humility into pride, you've crossed over from grace reception to grace repelling. The moment you, you get there, you stop, you cross over from humility to pride, you recruit now, Instead of the kind disposition and benevolent nature of God in terms of His grace, you cross over 
to recruiting direct opposition from God. There's something that's so um, intolerable about pride. It's so antagonistic to everything that is true of God's nature that when God sees it, He abhors it. It's like He makes God nauseous. It, it's like so alien to everything that He, everything that He stands for. And so I want to encourage you that our humility must also be corporate. Everyone say corporate humility, right? And you know, like I want to encourage you to start practicing these things. If we are corporately humble. It must emit as a corporate characteristic in our, in, in our gatherings. Right? We must be a lowly people of heart and mind. Okay? A visitor walks in, they must sense it. There's no arrogance here. There might be excellence, but there's no arrogance. Don't confuse excellence with pride. We are excellent in what we do, but in our excellence we're not proud. Right? We must be excellent in all we do. But don't confuse excellence with pride. There's a fine line there, but I'll talk more to that. But in everything we do, and people look at us, you know, we gravitate towards a visitor. There's a visitor, welcome Violet, for the first time today. Right? Can I use you as an example? I hope you don't mind. Right? She came in. How many of us gravitated towards her? Or was it business as usual? I left the setup. Why? We're busy here. And I saw, I left that, and I immediately, why? A visitor takes priority than a keyboard. Right? So what am I displaying? I'm demonstrating to Violet, you are noted. You came in. I won't disregard you. I will leave what a setup to give you time, although it's fleeting. But I'll give you time of a brief conversation. What am I suggesting? When I do that, what am I communicating? I'm saying you are extremely important. You're like a dignitary, like a president that has just walked in. How can we just carry on with business as usual and disregard you? Amen? So can we get that right, brethren? Yes? Every new visitor that walks in from now onwards gets the highest honor. Amen? In this way, it mustn't just be one or two of us. It must be a corporate feature of the, of the house. Amen? But you know, the proud won't do that. Proud stands aloof. It's a wow. Somebody else is doing it, not me. Let me. But I want to encourage you, humble yourself and serve the interest of another. Do not just be so inwardly focused that you're totally blind to the needs of everything around you. Amen. So everyone say corporate humility. And then last week I spoke to you about the humility pad. Remember? Helicopters look for helipads on which to land. But God's copter, God's copter is a grace copter. That copter is looking for a humility pad on which to land. Amen. And uh, the heart of the humble will attract grace. It dawned upon me as I was typing these notes on, on Saturday. I was just working through them. Listen carefully. Helipads are found also on skyscrapers. On skyscrapers, tall buildings. And you'll see the big circle with the H, and the copter comes and lands. The H stands for helicopter. For us, it's humility, that grace would land and descend. The higher the skyscraper, the more thorough the builders and the engineers are in their design 
of the helipad. I just discovered this recently, Saturday morning in fact. I was just still so fascinated by the helipad concept. I even found on Google the process in which it's manufactured or made on top of skyscrapers. It's not just simply a concrete thing with, and get some paint and do that. No, there's a process of, of, of engineering involved. Right? And remember, some, helicab, uh, some helipads have numbers depicting the weight of the craft, the capacity that can land on it, and the other number depicts the diameter of the rotor. So according to the strength of the design, it can receive a certain weight. So the amount of grace that you receive will depend upon the depth and the genuineness of your sincerity. I want to encourage you, in the next two weeks or so, I'm going to focus on humility. I thought it would just be one week, but in my study, the Lord just unveiled some, some, some profound principles in reference to humility that we need to talk about. But you have to. I'm not going to deal with this fleetingly. Because it's pointless going on about other aspects in our study on grace. When the pad in which it lands is not thoroughly constructed. So we're like engineers in the spirit now, okay? Uh, some of your humility pads I'm going to demolish to rebuild it again properly, right? We want to make sure in all of our lives the humility is so deep, so authentic, so genuine that it's going to recruit unto itself a significant quantum and quality of the grace of God. Amen? Are you ready for more grace? But like Quinton said, the tests for humility are going to come fast and furious to see whether or not you are living this word. Who's been tested by your humility? <laughs> Whose humility has been tested this week on the past few weeks? Okay, When you literally have to derobe like Jesus did, take off your garments and put on the towel of a servant and lower yourself and wash another's feet. Right? You will be tested. Let me assure you, you will be tested. I'm thinking, Lord... You're showing me so many examples of humility. I saw it in the color the previous week. Now I'm seeing it now in this context. You know what God is consistently saying to me? Randolph, I'm showing you visible examples of how people walk in humility. You know what I'm now thinking? Your dwelling place, your home. You know your, your physical home where you stay? Your address? Think of it as a massive humility pad. Your home must be humble. Okay? It must have a character of humility about it, where God can infiltrate it to a significant degree. But you know, the thought that dawned upon my heart was this. Skyscrapers scrape the sky. That's why they're called skyscrapers. Okay. They attempt to reach the heavens, not so? Right? And they say in engineering and construction for helipads on skyscrapers, the higher the building, the more thorough the pad needs to be constructed. Right? I would suggest to you, as you ascend in God, as God starts to use you, right, please ensure that your disposition of humility is solidly entrenched. Because you know what usually happens? We start off correctly, we start off humbly, and God starts to bless us. But as we grow and ascend in God, pride and arrogance seems to displace humility. A case in point, you must study this when you get time, would be King Uzziah. In Second Chronicles, I think it's 26 and 1 Kings 15. Uh, read the whole chapters. A man, the Bible says, sought God with all his heart 
And so long as he sought God, he's, the Lord prospered him. So think of a building and a skyscraper. He's humble. He sought God. Grace, grace, grace. He starts to grow. The blessing of the Lord. Then the Bible says, until. There's an until moment. Until he became strong in his own eyes. And he started doing things. Three things which I won't get into now. Started doing things to violate God's principles. Right? So I want to encourage you. If you start off with humility and God starts to bless you as you grow. In fact, please mark this down in your spirit. Entrench humility deliberately, consciously as you grow. Don't take it for granted that you would be humble. But consciously, deliberately entrench it. Focus upon it as God begins to bless you. You know why? The subtle... There's a subtlety about blessing that makes us forget God. You'll find this in the, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. God says when you come into the land and you are blessed and you occupy houses, you've never built fields, you've never planted, and the blessing abounds. See to it, thou shalt not forget to remember the Lord your God. It is He that giveth thee the power to get wealth. That famous scripture. That He might establish His covenant. Deuteronomy 8.18 there's a proneness about how blessing makes us forget. But humility, if you entrench it, will always keep at the forefront of your mind that I need God, I need to be dependable upon Him. Okay, now, otherwise, the event of your breakthrough could become and signal the start of the process of your breakdown. Breakdown is always a process. It never just happens. Some, some people have an event called breakthrough blessing. So the event of great blessing, it's meant to bless you, but you get proud in it. So the event of your breakthrough must not signal the start of a process of your breakdown. To prevent that, when you come into breakthrough, maintain a humble heart. At another uh, uh, show and tell <laughs> of case, uh, a case study of humility in Zambia, Helmut, some of you will meet him, some of you know him, is a German, uh, together with his wife Esther, a part of the conference. This man has got um, a huge piece of property. And we, we went on a tour. We had most of our lunches at his church and at his venue. Fantastic church. They're into medical care. So they provide free HIV testing for the community there. So I thought, well, clinic, you know. When I went in there, it was like a real hospital. All the doctors and the, the, the nurses they employed are their sons in the house that they've raised. And I walked through there. Even Sean, Sean Blucknot, was so impressed. He said, wow, this is excellent on another level. Everything is, and they've got a reputation. They're better than some of the hospitals in Zambia. Right? A long building, consultation rooms, doctors, some doctors still in training from their house. Sure, you know, Sean takes advantage of every moment to prophesy. We walked into the one like doctor. He's a medical officer, not a doctor yet, in training. Sean just says, you're going to be a doctor one day. <laughs> and he gives man a whole long, a young boy, youngish boy, a whole long prophecy. But he must be focused. Yeah? Then we said, oh, come see this. Right? We walk. I didn't see it. It was over a hill blocking it. A whole school, high school. Oh, about 1,000 students teaching, educators, right? 
We walk around. He said, come see the TV station. They had their own TV station. Prism, Prism Africa is theirs. Right? Pastor Thamo is on there. They had all Thamo's um, recordings, etc. Okay? And we walk, we're going to see all of this radio station, TV station, etc. So Paul was with us. So Paul noticed that Helmut is quiet. So Helmut said, but aren't you going to tell them like the main thing? So I said, oh, is there something more? He said, oh, oh we've got a university. It's just around the corner here. We go. I said, okay. If I was proud, that was the first thing I mentioned. I'm looking at Helmut and the Lord's saying to me, and he, he oozes humility, this man. Oozes through his pores, humility. Right? Not a braggart, not boasting, not proud. And even in taking us through, he's so humble. And you know what? I saw how God can put so much in the heart of a man that is humble. Didn't even find it necessary to tell us in the tour that they also manage two university campuses under the name of their congregation, Cresto Ministries University, Secular Education. Amen? And I saw humility in action. So everyone say, keep a humble heart. Keep a humble heart. Now, in the remaining time, that was more or less introductory, okay? We have time. Please, get ready. Open your spirit, okay? Just understand. We need to tap into the essence and the anatomy of humility. Page 6. The first statement is very important. Humility is Godward, inward, and then manward. Now, please just follow me here. So refer to your notes when I tell you. But otherwise, follow. I said in that statement, God is, uh, humility is, Godward, it's inward, and then it's manward. A lot of the scriptures reference humility relationally. It says, be humble in reference to your fellow man. Now, you will never get humility in reference to your fellow man right until you master humility towards God. Because your humility towards God, if you're humble in reference towards God, your Father, it will help you truly esteem yourself inwardly correctly. When you understand yourself inwardly correctly, you will position yourself accurately in reference to your brother. But you will never understand yourself first until you have a proper relationship in humility towards God. It's Godward, it's inward, how you feel about yourself, your mindsets, and then it's manward, it's relational. Now, if you look at the Hebrew and Greek definitions, okay, the Hebrew word is sapal and the Greek is tepanos. You can see both words have similar meanings. The common meaning is low. Whenever you think humility, you think, you think low, right? The sense of being humble, meek, contrite spirit, or base. Low, not high in other words. Particularly of attitude, used of the mind, meaning lowly or modest. Now, I found some synonyms, and I put them in that block. Synonyms for humility or humble would be meekness, lowliness, modesty, humbleness, the lack of pride, the lack of vanity, civility, of a servile attitude, submissiveness or submission, subservience, self-abasement, where you abase yourself. Unpretentious, you're not pretentious. Unobtrusive, you're not obtrusive. Obtrusive means you 
show you in the front, you're seen. Unobtrusive means you lower. You prefer to, to, be, to recede into the background as opposed to pushing yourself into the foreground. That's unobtrusive. Down-to-earthness, I like that. Down-to-earthness and simplicity. Okay? Tell you never come down. <laughs> the overall message of humility is come down. Adopt the lowly position. Okay? Be humble. Come down. Be simple. Serve another. Do not be obtrusive. Be unobtrusive. Abase yourself. Let Christ be seen. Now, humility in the Bible is often depicted in spirit and in soul. So the Bible speaks of humility of the heart and the humility of the of the mind. For example, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble way. Humble in spirit. Everyone say humble in spirit. It's very important for you to understand this. Humble in spirit. I am spirit, soul, and I'm also body. My spirit has a mind. My soul too has a mind. Humility starts with the disposition of spirit being lowly, thinking less of itself in reference to others. Okay? Um, so it must start in spirit. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You should underline the text, that word, that phrase, not despise. That for me tells me when I have contrition, lowliness, and a brokenness of spirit, it is impossible for God to reject me. Impossible. When God sees someone low, the Bible says God cannot even despise that person. God cannot even reject that person. So I want to encourage you, master these dispositions that God, whereby God cannot reject you, cannot oppose you. It's going to have to be gracious to you. Psalm 35 verse 13 says, I humbled my soul with fasting. Um, last year, I think it was, we dealt a whole series of, meet, of sessions on the subject of fasting. I don't want to go through how fasting humbles the soul here, but uh, consult the website and you can get the teachings, the PDF notes and the audio. But fasting for me is an expression of a desire to humble one's soul. Okay? The proud person rarely fasts because he doesn't see it necessary, a disposition within the soul by which he needs to humble himself. Now, Jesus said this in Luke 24, verse 48. Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Now, please watch. The heart is akin to one's spirit, biblically. The mind is akin to the mind of your soul, whenever it's used most often in the Bible. So, Jesus said, why do thoughts arise in your hearts? It tells me that the spirit is the conditioner of the thoughts of the mind of the soul. Your mind of your spirit dictates to and conditions how you think in the mind of your soul. So, if the mind of the spirit is lowly, the mind of the soul would be lowly. If the spirit has got a proud disposition, the soul got no chance. The soul will automatically be, be proud. Okay? You, uh, the, the soul must take its cue from the state of one's spirit. 
where we need to start off with humility. If someone is high, what the scripture calls high-minded, think more of themselves above anybody else. It's pointless reasoning with them, purely based upon the, the mind of their souls. You have to trust God for an invasion of grace into the mind of the spirit. And it's only the word of God that can do that. Because the word of God is spirit, and the word of God which is spirit must be received on the platform of spirit. So, where is the house that you can build me? But to this man will I? Look, he who is of a humble spirit and does what at my word? Trembles at my word. Where is the word received? The platform of the spirit. The word of God will always condition the spirit of the man to be humble. Absent the word, take the word away. The spirit got no chance for humility. I'll demonstrate that shortly. So I want to encourage you. Humility is both a function and must be characteristic of the state of your spirit, the mind of your spirit, and the mind of one's soul. Okay? It's not just a soulish mental thing. It's the state of the essence of all that you are as a spirit being. Your spirit is either high-minded or it's low-minded. And whatever state your spirit is, your soul will simply follow suit. Okay, your soul will simply follow suit. On page 7, the basis for humility, like I've said, at the heart of humility is the esteem and honor placed on God and His Word. This, for me, is the bedrock of everything humble. Because the Scripture does say, in Isaiah 66, I've just read, to this man will I look, he was of a humble heart, hum, lowly spirit, and does what at my word? He trembled. That's not fearful. The word tremble simply means he's reverentially respectful of my view of things. Everyone say God's view of things. Because what is his word? His word is his view of things. Logos, remember the Greek logos, is the intelligence of the mind of God. Listen, think of it like this. Whenever you hear God's word, you must say to your mind, I'm going to get God's view of things. God's opinion on the matter is contained within His Word, right? You have your opinion, God has His opinion. When the Word is presented to you, you either take your opinion and you say, Right? You bow. God, your opinion I receive. God's opinion must displace my opinion on the matter. Right? We live in a highly opinionated society. Everybody has their own view of everything. But listen carefully, particularly to the educated mind, the Greek mind. This is a, a Greek philo philosophical mind that Europe is beset by this demonic stronghold of argument, reasoning in the mind that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Right? When Paul encountered this, he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Where do strongholds exist? In this, to pulling down of strongholds, dismantling every thought and what? Imagination and bringing it to what? Dragging it to the obedience of Christ. Do you know that warfare is not for everybody? Do you know contextually 
2 Corinthians 10 is apostolic warfare. When Paul says the weapons of our warfare, he's saying our, not as in our, the church. He's saying our as in a group of apostles. Read the context. He's saying when an apostle comes, an apostolic ministry is present. Do you know the greatest fight is where? In the mind to those receiving. But Paul says when I as an apostle stand, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal. But when I deliver God's word, what he is saying is, I can bring to bow to the opinion of God the reasoning arguments in the minds of men. Right? Such is the power of apostolic doctrine. Right? We must really pray for Europe. Greece. Greece is in Europe. Remember Eurocliden? That wind we spoke about when we did well, you rock it, and as I, I, I like to call it, because that, that wind rocks boats right, in which apostles are on their path to journey towards their preferred location. Where does you rock and blow off? From which continent? From Greece. That, that wind, that violent, tempestuous, you rock and blows into the Mediterranean at short notice. What the Bible says to not be, we must grow up, not children. Not tossed by every wind of doctrine. Right now there are winds of reasoning. Winds of intellectualism. Blowing so strongly. I see it every time we travel. Some guys, not every time we travel. It's just glory, hallelujah sessions. In between breaks we're reasoning. Dialoguing. Trying to persuade some who are, are, are opposing the message. And I see the stronghold in the mind of the person. Amen. But I want to encourage you. You are here. You must be leaders in the principle of how I can take my opinion when the light of God's word comes to me. I have an opinion, but I'm willing to divest it and receive God's view on the matter. Do you remember when we did the forgiveness series, Healing the Wounded Soul? Remember? We spoke on forgiveness. There are so many of us here that came into liberty because of that series. Right? I've heard a testimony recently of one who went to another it was a family issue and administrated a process of reconciliation because of that series. But the person who is one of us here, don't, don't try and work out who. <laughs> the person just, just said, wow, I've maintained this position for so long, being saved, serving God. Now I've heard word. What is the word? Word has brought God's view on the matter. I have a view, but I'll take my view and I will. You know what happened to the person when they sit here? Their testimony. When the word was proclaimed, it came with apostolic authority. And apostolic authority can dismantle an argument in the mind. person maintained a position where, where a relationship was tense for so long, but having heard the word, what comes with the word? Grace. And as hard as you think it might do, be to do certain things obediently, if you receive grace, you will receive the courage and empowerment to obey. You walk in it. But the moment you say, well, no, 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 no. Argument in the mind. I will maintain my position. That's his view. If you don't accept what I say as your father in the Lord, as a preacher, as a servant of God, preaching the word of God as the word of God, if you just say it's not the word of God, it's Randolph's opinion. If you receive what I say as opinion of man, he'll do nothing for you. But if you receive what I say as the word of God, Right? It will work mightily in you. Paul said to the Thessalonians, when we came in and among you, 
you received our word, not just the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which effectually works in you. When does it effectually work in you? Dependent on how it's received. Look at this next text. James 1.21, we've dealt with this before. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to do what to the soul? When is the word able to save the soul? When? Come on, talk to me. When is the word able to save the soul? Dependent on how it's received. It says, in humility receive the word, which is able to save the soul. The word, the, the power of the ability of God's word is only released dependent on how it was received. If you receive the word with humility, you unlock its effectual working power in your life. Amen? Hallelujah. I listened to John, uh, all John Alley's streams from the school now. I sent you the text while I was in uh, Zambia. If you missed it, it's all saved on YouTube. Just go on to the link and you can listen to all the sessions. So yesterday I listened to two or three while I was busy in the office. Fantastic stuff. Some of it's very radical. I realize the challenging positions in my mind. But because of our respect for the man... I will not dismiss it. I want, to, I want to study this. This is something fresh. It's going to adjust my positions on. What is that? If you apply it now, that concept, that topic, no one can tell me zilch. I know it all. What are you doing? You're pushing grace away. Pushing grace away. Whenever you're under the sound of God's word, bow the knee, bow the mind, bend the heart and say, I receive. Do you receive this today? Amen. Say, come on, say it with me. I receive. I receive. Amen. Uh, Philippians 2.8, it's at the bottom of your note, it says this. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. In the paragraph above that, I want to read this, listen carefully. This is important. Because without this humility, obedience to the word is impossible. Jesus humbled himself and as a result became obedient. When did he become obedient? What is the order of things? He humbled himself and became obedient. Without humility, obedience is, obedience is negated. In fact, more correctly stated, obedience is the ultimate indication. Of humility. Obedience is the, the proof of humility. Now, next week, hopefully, by God's grace, I want to demonstrate this through four case studies. I'll show you when you obey, the act of obedience becomes the litmus test that indeed you are humble. Right? I must be humble to receive the word. If I don't have the present state of humility in my spirit, I can't receive the word as the word of God. But having received the word as I obey, because let me just say this to you. You can agree in your mind with the word, but you can fail to walk in life with the word. When you actually walk obediently to the word, you demonstrate ultimate humility. Everyone say ultimate humility. I'm trying to get this in your hearts and minds. We can all boast to a degree of how humble we are. 
And that's a contradiction in terms. <laughs> okay. Because humility, I wrote on Facebook yesterday, just dawned upon me in my spirit late last night. I wrote humility, if I can remember it correctly. Humility is that great yet lowly one thing about which none of us, because of its very nature, can take pride in or boast in. How can you boast about humility? You can't boast about the fact that you are humble because then you demonstrate by that that you are not humble because you are taking pride in the thing meant to humble you. You know, how many of us got things we can boast in? Yes, I got this, this. But if you are humble, it's that one virtue about which you can't even reference as an accomplishment. You can reference a host of other accomplishments, but the reference to having attained humility, you can't even say, I've arrived. It's that virtue that keeps your mouth shut. You can't even post the thing on Facebook, say, see how humble I am. Because then you're revealing your pride. It's that one thing that will keep you covered. <laughs> keep you quiet. Because, you know, garrulity and loquacity are big issues. Garrulity and loquacity are synonyms for verbal diarrhea. You, got, you can tune, bro. You, can, you have a view about everything. You know, some people can just, they have an answer to everything. They know everything. Knowledge puffs up. Pride, right? Garrulity and loquacity. Verbosity is another synonym, right? You know, the humble heart knows when it knows a thing, but it knows when to keep quiet about the thing and not to parade itself as a know-it-all in front of everybody. But when you are truly humble, you know, I like that thought. Please remember this. At some, I think I added to your notes somewhere, somewhere in there. Humility is that one virtue about which you cannot take pride in nor boast about. You can't reference it as an accomplished that you have attained. You know why? It's purely a work of God. Let me, let me explain this solidly. Listen carefully to me. When you repent and you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I confess my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life and make me your son. You know when you repent... Uh, and you said, yes. So what did you do? You said, of sin, I acknowledge the sin. Please forgive me, God. So you came into the kingdom. You're a son of God. Do you know at that point in time, you can't, you can't even tap yourself on the back and say, well, you got in. At least you acknowledged you're wrong. Others don't acknowledge they're wrong and are not saved. Do you know the ability to repent itself comes from God? Nothing... Yes, you cooperated. You know what you did? You just cooperated and complied with a work that God was already doing in your life. You know why I know that? Romans 2.4 says, The goodness and the kindness of God leads men to repent. So even to attain humility, you can't be proud in that and say, Whoa, I've crossed the bridge of pride. I've left that. I am in the humble domain. See how humble? Can't even say that because even your movement into humility is purely a compliance within you of what God is doing. So tell your neighbor, you can't even boast about. You can't even boast about this. Let me just say this. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. That God is doing a work of humility in all of us. Right? And all I'm asking us as a house, note it, 
regard it, be aware of it, and simply comply with it. But when you have attained it, you can't even reference it as an accomplishment because its very nature negates that. Amen. Its very nature negates that. Now, let's talk about the outworking of humility. The next few minutes. The outworking of humility. Three things I want to talk about. It's humility towards God. This is page 8. Humility towards God, inward humility, and then relational humility. Three processes. Humility towards God. James 4 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. You know this verse? We should sing a song about this some time ago. Right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. Remember? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. Based upon this verse. In whose sight? Come on, in whose sight? It's not in each other's view. Because lateral, I call it lateral humility, can easily be faked. Relational humility can easily be faked. You can, we can easily pretend and put a facade of humility in reference one to another. But you know, you can bluff people, but you cannot bluff God. Your humility must be within the sight of God. So humility starts there. Secondly, humility inwardly. Okay? Everyone say inwardly. A key text here would be Romans 12 and verse 3. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. An amazing verse, eh? It says, to everyone, he says, by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of yourself more, more highly than he ought to think. Now, it doesn't say don't think of yourself. It just says don't think more highly than you ought to think. So, let me ask you the question. Are you to think of yourself? Yes or no? Yes. But don't just think of yourself more highly than you are, than you ought to think. In other words, there's a point beyond which in you think of yourself, you are not permitted to go. I think it was um, C.S. Lewis or somewhere in your note that said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Difference, eh? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay? That is true humility. So, look at this in the Amplifier. The Amplifier says it so powerfully. Romans 12, 3, in the middle of the page. For by the grace and merited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you not to esteem and think of himself more highly than he ought to. And in brackets, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each one according to the degree of faith apportioned to him by God. In verse 16 of the same chapter, Be of the same mind one to another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be 
wise in your in your own estimation. All this is saying to us is, have a proper regard for an estimate of your self-worth, your self-concept. Right? Have a proper regard and uh, appraisal of who you are in Christ. Okay? So, listen carefully. I need to say this. I've got this big and bold here. Humility within you is not the same as a low self-esteem. I'm not saying have a low self-esteem. I'm saying have a proper regard for who you are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Have a low, uh, you must have a low self-esteem because a low self-esteem is not honorable to God. Okay? It's not honorable to God. Gideon thought less of himself. Remember? Remember when God came to him? Okay? Gideon thought less of himself in reference to God's view of him. God said to him, mighty man of valor. He said, I'm the least. I'm the lowest. That's not humility. That's a low self-esteem. A low self-esteem is not honorable to God. When you think less of yourself than what God made you to, to believe about who He has made you to be in Christ. You mustn't walk around with no confidence. Okay? There's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You must be confident. You must be convinced in who you are in Christ. To think of yourself less is not honorable to God. Right? To, to think to lower who God has made you to be as a firstborn son in Christ, confident in who you are, that is not honorable. But in that position, you adopt a lowliness of disposition. Right? You know that you can do it, but in the bedrock of you, you know it's not me, it's Christ in and through me. Right? So you don't walk around, oh, Randall, so you must be humble. Hey, me, look at me, guys. I can do nothing. I'm, I'm you know, that's not honorable to God. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. Who? That's not pride. That's a raw recognition of who he was in Christ. You know what he said in 1 Corinthians 15.10? He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. But I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I work, yet not I, but grace. He's not belittling himself. He's having a proper view of who he is in God. So be confident, but don't be arrogant. Tell him, be confident, but don't be arrogant. Right? That's on top of the next page. Uh, this is a quote from an anonymous person who said, there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance. It's called humility. Confidence smiles, but arrogance smirks. No smirk. You know that look. But, but con you can walk. Yes, put your shoulders back. When I walk to a meeting, I'm regal. I'm a son of God. I walk with dignity. I walk in confidence, not in my own strength, but at the bottom of me I am humble, right? And I smile. And I'm willing to lower myself. I don't smirk in pompous arrogance over people which I regard as lesser than myself. In my mind, I taught you last week, what do I do? I elevate others as better than myself. I did it again in Zambia this week. When I was introduced to people I met for the first time, immediately I tell myself, oh, how's it? Uh, I, I met, I met a wonderful brother. His name is Abraham. He's a spiritual son to Ralph Elia. Yeah. And he did the table of the Lord. Ralph and finished. 
Ralph in Zambian accent. Ralph Elia, Ralph's intonations, the mind, how he reasons, the flow of thought. I thought, wow, this is Ralph personified in Zambia. People, my mind. So when we were introduced, oh, this is Abraham. I meet Hazel Abraham, how are you? I didn't say it, but my mind, you are better than me. My mind, everyone, you are better than me. What am I doing? Putting everybody else above me. While being confident in who God has made me to be. Yes? Just remind the person, in case you forgot last week's message, you are better than me. Everyone you must tell in your mind, you are, you are better than me. Remember Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks where? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now you must humble yourself. Okay? James 4.10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Nobody will do this for you, brethren. You have to do it yourself. And like I said, it's effortless if you simply cooperate with God. Right? It will require something of you. If for years and years you've entrenched a proud stance, now God is calling you to bend. But simply cooperate with the, the requirements of the Lord and you will be made humble effortlessly. It's your cooperation. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12, But the greatest among you shall be the servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humble. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen. Now, if you turn over the page, just, just keep that, that text open there. If you don't humble yourself, this is how it works generally. God usually has to order some suffering for you. Special order for this one. Right? Not a special order. In other words, God will speak to you about things over and over again. And if you are incalcitrant, unbending, stubborn, stiff-necked, and you don't listen, you know what God normally does? God will, not because He wants to make you suffer. Do you know that God's permittance for our suffering is not punitive? God has got no desire to punish us. In fact, His discipline of us in suffering is purely an expression of His love. Right? And God will not want you proud forever because I'll show you when we do the study on pride. It is dangerous. You can be lost to the kingdom. It's so dangerous. You can lose your status and your standing for God completely. And God will never want you there. So what He will generally do is He will submit you to trial in, to get you to resolve, to a point of resolve where you conclude in your mind, I have to adopt this humble position, lest if I carry on the way I'm carrying on, the outcome will not be pleasant. Right? You know, Opa, what does Opa mean? Stiff necked. Ruth followed Naomi back to the land of Bethlehem, Judah. Son locked into the father's son. But what did Opa do? The Bible says she went back where? And it's God's. Not just to, she went back to Moab. And it's God's. Going back to Moab was a spiritual decision. And it's God's. Right? But, and do you ever read of Opa there in the scripture again? She goes into total obscurity. Total oblivion. But Ruth becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll talk about stubbornness when we get to them. Stubbornness is a serious opposition to humility. If you, so tell you, just get, let me get the point in now before we go. Tell your neighbor, stop being stubborn. Some of us are like, hard, eh? Unbending. You know, unbending 
is an expression of pride, not humility. So long as you are stubborn, grace will miss you. You'll be the environment, but not receiving it. Learn to bow. Right? Learn to bow. Learn to be flexible. It's like you, you adopt such a hard road. Nobody can tell you squat about that issue. My way or no way. If that is your position, I submit to you, you'll be the environment of grace. But it will never come to you. You will never experience the effects. I've seen people um, over the years. Totally grace. They, they, they function in totally grace-enriched environments. Yet, no active grace present in the life. For some of them, this hardness, this incalcitrance, I call it, unbending. Right? They say the famous song in hell is going to be, I did it. My way. Yeah, you want insisting on your way and not go for God's way? Then get your own results and forego God's results. Right? I'm, you know, brethren, I want to beg you. Master one thing. Master humility. You want this grace? You know, God interrupted us. I wasn't going to talk about humility. I was going to carry on to other aspects of apostolic grace. The Lord literally said to me, pointless if the people's humility pads aren't ready. Pointless going on to other aspects if the humility pads aren't well constructed. So we're busy strengthening your humility pad. Okay, I want to just start to wind off now. You see, when you suffer, I will talk, there's a whole section on grace we're going to deal with later, about how when you suffer... God gives you more grace. Because when Paul suffered, what did Paul say in his suffering? God said to him, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. There's a false notion going around now that suffering accesses more grace. And they use that, that, that scripture. It is not suffering per se that's the gateway to grace. It's the disposition of humility in suffering. That is the factor that recruits grace while you suffer. Because your suffering is meant and designed to humble you. Right? Look at Deuteronomy 8.16 on the top of page 10. In the wilderness he fed you manna, right? Which your fathers did not know. That he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Now the wilderness journeys were how long? Forty years. It was a torrid time, arid conditions, sun, uh, heat, dryness, etc. But they had the grace of God, which is akin to manna, not so? Manna akin to grace. God says, but the point of the wilderness journeys was to keep them humble. And in the disposition of humility, the manna fell. Grace falls on humility. Grace falls on humility. Let me just, I, I need to say this seriously to us. I hear the word of the Lord saying to some of us. You've been in this wilderness far too long. And you're not learning the lessons quick enough. Being in this, uh, 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 going round and round. And next year this time you have the same lament every year. Round and round, having not learned the lessons. The Lord is saying, if you simply humble and start to engage obediently to my dictates. See how I will dispense great grace upon your life. See how. Great grace. I, wanna, I won't finish this now, but I need to say one or two things in reference to 
humility before men, because this will be your focus for the house church study this week. How do you see each other? How do you see each other? When Adam disconnected from God, his father, it changed his perspective of everyone in his world. Please listen very carefully to this reasoning. So long as he maintained connection with God, he appraised everyone in his world correctly. When the disconnection with God happened through his own sinful rebellion, even his view towards his wife changed. When confronted with God about the matter of his sin, what did he say? First thing, what did Adam say? The woman you gave me, she is the one. So he is not a man. Okay? I'm using colloquial terms. A man takes responsibility. The man who is not a man defers responsibility to another. So God is confronting him as, as headship. He's the head of the home. God is confronting about a breach of relationship, breach of the terms by which God and man function. And the first thing in Adam is what? It's the first indication of pride in man, the unwillingness to accept responsibility. So he, he transfers that to his wife. The one he protects, he decides to expose. The one he should be protecting, he decides to make her more vulnerable. He knows he's on the recipient end of the wrath of God. And he think about what he's doing. Serious, eh? His first instinct, protect myself, expose my wife. That for me is a severe indication of pride as it entered humanity in the first man. The unwillingness to take responsibility. But let me just say this. You see, I can, you cannot establish your own credibility by discounting what another represents. If you build up your reputation by downing others, your reputation you've built up is dependent upon how you've maligned another. And that is a false reputation. Right? Never ever seek to gain ground by taking ground away from others. Never seek to gain mileage and pushing ahead by putting roadblocks in front of others. It points to the orphan spirit. It points to insecurity within the person itself. Right? But the humble man has got no problems. Jesus, the second man, came. God says, you said, yes, I'll take all of their sins upon myself. I will not defer. I, have, I will take it all upon myself. I will humble myself, Philippians, to the point of death on the, the cross. The humble man is even willing to take responsibility for things he might not be guilty of to save another. His intention is always to protect and preserve the other while, while not counting the cost to himself. Yeah? Liam, our second son, is named so because when he was born, um, we liked the name because of its meaning. His name means determined protector. And what's the other? Strong guardian, determined protector. And when we wrote his song at his dedication, we sang it, prophetic song to the Lord over him. We said that he will protect others, protector of others. And he literally is living that out. 
literally his living. At great personal cost to himself, he will prefer to enhance the welfare of another while paying the cost. But the proud man stands up and says, no, 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 it's all about me, myself, and I. Self-preservation. Okay? So I want to encourage you, brethren. Start um, when you, that's why I said, if you disconnect from God relationally in terms of your posture of humility toward Him, you have the false view of yourself and you will never treat another with humility. Humility is always Godward, inward, outward, relationally. Right? Now, Adam doesn't know who he, he breaks connection with God, expresses pride, doesn't take responsibility for the sin. He is not convinced about who he is as the son of God in creation. And if it ever opportunity is presented to him, he will blame another to excuse himself. Right? So I want to encourage you. Esteem each other highly in the Lord. Highly in the Lord. Look at page 11 at the top. Just one or two more scriptures. Then we're going to close. We have five minutes. Four minutes. Be of the same mind, one of another. Do not be haughty. Where? In mind. So the soul, but it starts, like I said, in the mind of the spirit. But associate with the lowly. I like this. Hang out. Spend time with. Associate with the, with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Look at that paragraph afterwards. Do not be snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, and live condescendingly of others. Learn to fellowship with others who most regard as unimportant. By doing so, you are indicating their importance in your eyes. Very, you know, I'm tired of abstract doctrine. That we can't live out. This for me is like real. This is James. You know, James is the most practical apostle. He says, if you're sick, call the elders. Let them anoint you pray with oil. Right? If you're happy, sing songs. Right? Simple. He's got basic. He's like a doctor. Or you're sick, take this medicine. Right? I like this. Don't be haughty in your mind. But to prevent that, what must you do? So he's saying two things. He's saying, don't be high-minded. But you keep yourself falling there. You can do something deliberate on this side. Take someone that most consider unimportant. And you show them the greatest honor. You hang out. You invite them out. You grace them with gifts or whatever. This is your assignment for this week. I'm tired of teaching and we're not living. Your assignment for this week is to find the lowly. Find someone. This is a serious brethren. All of us, look at school. All of you, some of you at at varsity. The scholars and the university, technical students, those of us who are working. I'm going to do it too. Find someone in your world which the society or the majority deem and rank their value lowly. But you show them, you demonstrate to them their worth before the Father. By your doing so, you're giving them a message of just how the Heavenly Father views them. You keep yourself lowly. In fact, I'm going to read this. This says it plainly. 1 Corinthians 12, 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Tell your neighbor you are indispensable. 
Everyone is important here. Every, the, the youngest child, the, we're all equally important before God. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we must bestow what? Greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members might have the same care. I should have bolded that word, same care. Everyone say the same care. You know, I listened to John Alley in the week. He's pushing this thing of the ultimate finish, the oneness. He's teaching on the city of God, if you listen to him. Someone I started a series today in Santon on the city of the living God, talking the same language. They are pushing the end. The end is a city church that is one in heart and one in soul. Everyone say oneness. But how are we going to ever get to oneness if amongst us we have opinions about each other? We have judged each other before the time. Right? So humility, for me now, is an essential ingredient to oneness. Tell you never be humble to be one. Be humble to be one. Right? Now we must clothe ourselves with humility as the term suggests there. Let me just read it then we'll close. You younger men, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise be subject to your elders, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but he will give grace to the humble. He will give grace to the humble. Now ask your neighbor, are you dressed properly this morning? Do you have all your clothes on? Do you have the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, like it says? Do you have the garment of righteousness, Isaiah 60? Another garment you must always keep on. It says, clothe yourself with the garment of humility. Do you know in the Bible, clothing suggests a mantle of anointing? And clothing suggests the authority. Like Aaron the high priest was clothed with specific garment. It was both his functionality to do and his authority to do. So when you're clothed with humility, your, your humility is actually your authority in the, in the Spirit. Amen? Your humility is your authority in the Spirit. That's a revelation. Say it slowly with me. Say, my humility is my authority in the realm of the Spirit. Say it again. My humility is my authority in the realm of Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. Our hearts are bowed before you. Forgive us of any expression of pride. Forgive us where we've deliberately or unconsciously have walked in pride towards others. Help us to be lowly. Help us to have the same care in the body one of another. For those that we deem less honorable, help us to bestow upon them the greater honor. We love your word. We do tremble at your word. We will always receive your word with humility of mind, for then it is able to save the soul. We fear your word. We reverence you and your word. We have great respect for your view of things, 
for opinion and your take on matters. We will graciously divest ourselves of our own opinion that you might bring grace to the platform of our humility pads, our heart pads. Your grace hovers over us to make our heart your habitation of grace. Right now, everyone lift your hands. Right now, we receive grace to help in times of our need. We receive the grace of which we have heard of today. Because even now, Father, we make ourselves low before you. We humble our hearts, our spirit, and the mind of our soul. And you said in your word you will give grace to the humble, but that you will resist the proud. Now, Father, I ask an impartation of grace to every single one of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be humble toward you. Help us to be humble inwardly and have a good estimate of ourselves before you. Help us to regard others relationally as better than ourselves, particularly those that seem less comely among us. Help us to display your love to them by showing them the greatest honor amongst us. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.